0: Viewer discretion advised. And
1: welcome to another episode of the Shadow Initiative Paranormal TV with your hosts and paranormal authors and investigators and researchers and supernatural renaissance men, Stephen Lancaster and myself, Rick Hale. Hey, Steve, how are you? I'm
2: good, man. I'm good. We're like, we're like with our powers combined, we are the, the paranormal unstoppables.
1: We are the dynamic duo of right. the ghost world.
2: It's kind of like Voltron. We combine. Oh, yeah. yeah, we combined into this just super awesome, old, out of shape, one-legged paranormal <laughs> investigator. <laughs> Ew. Yeah. It's a comic so, waiting yeah. to happen.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so uh, you know, we took another week off. We got to stop doing this because uh, you know I don't want to lose our, our mojo much like you're losing your hair.
2: And you know I'm losing, buddy. <laughs> I was quite disappointed. I went to the doctor on Friday to get a COVID mm-hmm. test. Uh, mm-hmm. not, not because I'm feeling bad. It was just a requirement because I film with uh, I film here soon for television. Right. So I have to have a COVID test before I can go into the studio to do this. Mm-hmm. And they weighed me. The last time I was there, I was 192. Okay. That was two months ago, Rick. Mm-hmm. This time, 201. Oh my goodness. Yes, and my doctor's like, Well, have you changed your diet or anything? I said, No, I literally am so habitual, man. I it kills my mm-hmm. wife. I eat the same stuff, drink the same stuff every day. Whatever yeah. it is, tons of hot sauces going on it. It could be vanilla ice cream. Tons mm-hmm. of hot sauces going on. I mean, I eat the same stuff every day. And she said, well, are you stressed out? I said, well, you know, I got a lot going on. And then it hit me. You. It's you. Me. Oh, yes. Oh, me. It's You're going to blame me. It's adding this stress to me. So now I got an appointment with a psychiatrist. <laughs> okay. It's just, God, I, I, I can't wait for our medical benefits to kick in here on this show.
1: Oh, right, right. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'm 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 the I'm the uh, complete opposite. Since I started doing my, my dieting and stuff like that, I'm down eighty five pounds and up ten pounds worth of muscle. So I mean, hey, you know, you're you're helping me out in that end.
2: Great. Well, it makes me feel good. You know, I just I'm not going to stop eating how I eat because I don't eat unhealthy. Um you right. know, occasionally I'll eat that bojangles when it's given to me. You know, not to be rude. Oh you know. How do you eat that? Okay, but please. But, but Proceed. i don't go out and get it myself you know so mm-hmm. i just need to work out dude because i'm just totally out of shape if i would start you know running or something you know, i gotta do something
1: you could be thin and still flabby af my friend you know you gotta gotta work out I mean, i mean to take it from me i work out an hour every single day every day and uh you know, it really does help. not Not only does it help with you physically, it helps with you mentally. So, I suggest everybody do that. But let's get away from our uh, our our middle aged weight problems or lack thereof. <laughs> and um, you know, let's let's talk about something. You know, that's something a little bit more interesting. I I watched the um, uh, trailer for the new Conjuring Three movie the other day, and that really was two and a half minutes that I will never get back.
2: I know. I know. I was this close. Uh, you know, I was interviewed on a show the other night, and we started talking about these true cases that become movies. And I was going to start tearing into those Conjuring movies, but I thought, nah, let's just get off this as quick as possible. I, mm-hmm. I'm just, I'm. It, it led to a conversation that you and I have often about right. these paranormal shows giving the wrong impression to people. hmm you know, and that's kind of what this conversation led into. It's like people see this, and, and you know, no offense to anybody who admired the Warrens or still does, but the Warrens weren't like that. And and, and you know, it, The Conjuring Two, they weren't even a part of that
1: case. You know, this, no. Well, actually, no. I'm I'm gonna correct you on that. They, they were there long enough to get thrown out. Right. You they know? were there long enough for Guy Lion Playfair to tell them to get the F yeah. out. And I actually had. Mr. Playfair tell that to me himself. Yeah. He actually laughed at them and told them and demanded that they leave. Yeah. And there yeah. was no valic And I don't know about you, but I actually read that book that mm-hmm. that case is based on, the Devil Made Me Do It case. Mm-hmm. And um, now that was back when I was much younger and I'm like, wow, you know, hey, the Warrens were kind of cooling off. But reading a little bit more uh, about them and learning a little bit more about them, they were... If if anything, they were the P.T. Barnum of the paranormal and demonology world. You know, take take it as you will. I, I personally won't be seeing the movie, but if you see it, just be prepared to be lied to for, you know, two hours or however long yeah, you watch it. You
2: know, the thing is, I, I will most likely watch it because that's all I watch are, are, when I watch movies. They're like horror movies. I love horror movies. You know, you're not yeah. getting Star Wars and Indiana Jones and stuff, but... I, it's like we were talking on that show the other night. You know, I, you know, I was saying people watch this stuff. They think that's how it's done. And, and I said there's basically two kind of people out there. They're, they're the people that believe anything. Those investigators, you know who they are. They just heard a door creak. That's a ghost. That's a ghost. And you can't tell them any, anything different. These are the TV people. Then you have the other people who, no matter what you present to them, Will never believe it. Right. Will never believe it. Now you could have the ghost sitting right there in front of them. They will never believe it. And, and it's kind of out of balance, is what it, it, it is. The problem. And, and the problem is, the ghost writers for the Warrens have come out publicly and said it was all made up. The Warrens told us to make it up. Just make it yeah. as scary as possible. How many producers, how many former TV paranormal people, how many people do you need to come out and say this stuff was fake, yet you're still sitting there believing it?
1: Yeah, you know what? And actually, we're going to talk a little bit about this with uh, Casey, our guest today, because Casey has a... He is probably just about as opinionated as you and I are concerning um, this kind of thing. Groovy. So I, I, I expect us to probably get lots of hate mail (laughs) and and lots of hate comments on uh, when when we uh when we air this so just be prepared it's gonna be a wild ride
2: i haven't even gotten through the last two weeks of hate mail man i'm behind it's a shame
1: it's it's bound to happen it's bound to happen
2: but we swear guys you know thank you for tuning in we swear we're getting back on schedule here there's just been Mm -hmm. a lot going on 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 both sides of the fence Um, we just can't always be there, but you know, you've always got the archives to go back and watch, you know, tell your friends, share it because you know, we're finding out every other day that there are people watching our show that we didn't even know, Yeah. (laughs) you know, like, like the interview I did last night, these two girls are telling me, we just love the shadow initiative. We love watching you guys and I'm thinking they're full of crap. But then they start specifically mentioning things that the only way you would know is if you were a fan of the show it's like wow people really do like us yeah i mean
1: i you know what i am uh i am definitely pleased with what we got going on here it's like it's it's a great dynamic you know we're both a couple of curmudgeonous old guys and uh you know we sit around talking about the warrens for the first 15 minutes of the show
2: yeah why not yeah that's my ac you're hearing in the background that's just something everybody's going to have to
1: deal with at this point. Now that we're you, have your AC, you have your AC AC running already?
2: Yeah. Oh Dude, God. I'm in the Carolinas, man. Tomorrow, it'll be
1: 30 degrees. Yeah. Today,
2: it's 80 degrees.
1: Yeah. It's ridiculous, man. Well, you know, uh, last week, my family and I, we were in uh, Colorado. And I've said it before and I'll say it again. Colorado is one of my absolute favorite places on Earth. It's gorgeous. I love the mountains. I find them both exhilarating and terrifying at the same time. And um, in Colorado, they're still experiencing winter. Mm -hmm. So we didn't really get to do the things that we wanted to do. I mean, we did get to go see Garden of the Gods, which is, you know, again, one of my favorite places. Um, But there was a lot more things that we wanted to do. Like, we were actually gonna go visit some ghost towns this time around, but, uh, you know, hey, weather wasn't permitting. So, you know, maybe next time.
2: Yeah. That happens. It's that's kind of how I feel. It's like I'm gonna be gone for three or four days this coming week to film, and it's mm-hmm. like, oh, it's a trip away, but there is going oh, to Stephen's be Steven's
1: bragging again. No, folks. no, no, no. There,
2: there, there's going to be zero time to actually enjoy it. Yeah, it's literally get up in the morning. There's an itinerary all day long. Your lunch is written in for you. Your dinner's written in for you. And you're just filming the whole damn time until it ends, if you're on time, at 7 o'clock at night. So then mm-hmm. it's back to the hotel room, maybe catch some Criminal Minds or NCIS before I pass out by 8, you know, and then do it again the next day. And then the next day, drive all the way back home.
1: Can you give us a preview on what it is that you're filming? Y- me. Here's the preview. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's going to look yeah, a so lot listen. like this.
2: No, um, I, I can't tell you what it's about. It's about the Brentwood Wine Bistro. Um, mm-hmm. My claim to fame, I guess, as far as uh, a place that I've investigated extensively now going on 13, 14 years. I've done right. multiple episodes of Monster Vision on it. My first book, it was the flagship story in it. Uh, it's appeared on A&E Biography. I uh, did a documentary, Phantome, that's on Amazon Prime. And now, this is going to a major network for an hour-long episode. Um, all up-to-date evidence, never-before-seen stuff, never-before-released details, interviews with myself, um, a few other investigators who were involved, and, uh, of course, the owners, Chef Eric and Kim Masson. Uh, so nice. it's, it's going to be really cool because, you know, it, it's for people who have followed me, it's that perfect example of what we talk about. That you can't be the client in one night. You can't expect to have it figured out in one night. Well, here's a location that that's been put on the map, that's been researched for almost a decade and a half.
1: Right. You know, I, I think I think that's what a lot of people they don't understand. They see on TV, and you know, with with ghost with ghost hunters or ghost adventures, and it's like we spent one night there and we came back with some of the most amazing, um, earth shattering evidence. And anybody knows, you know, from the history of, of parapsychology, psychical research, ghost hunting, whatever you want to call it, that's not how it works. Right. You have to spend more than just a few hours in a location. You sometimes you have to spend days. Sometimes you have to come back over and over again before you get something that it's like you could really honestly say, you know what, that is a ghost.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Yep, I agree. Well, with that being said, Rick, let's take a let's
2: take a break, you guys. Enjoy this commercial that you've probably seen 15 times now as we're on episode 15. We got a special guest, Mr. Casey, as soon as we come back. So you guys stick around. Do you have proof of the paranormal? Want to see your story and evidence showcased on our show? Email TV at gmail.com. With questions, comments, your paranormal stories, evidence of the paranormal, or just anything you'd like to see on our show, your story and evidence may appear on Shadow Initiative Paranormal TV. That's TV at gmail.com.
1: This week on the Shadow Initiative Paranormal TV, we would like to welcome to the show, Mr. Casey Goodwin. He is the founder of Oregon Paranormal, as well as the producer of The Permanence, a paranormal case study. Uh, Casey, just like everybody else that we have on this show, is a normal, everyday guy who has had some extraordinary uh, circumstances in his life, and it has led to a lifelong passion with the paranormal and the unexplained. So, Casey, welcome to the show.
2: Yeah, welcome, man.
1: Nice oh, thanks shirt, for joining buddy. us so early thank uh, <laughs>
2: you thanks buddy
1: <laughs> oh my god the nerds are all here it's it's a it's 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 a nerd it's a nerd trifecta yes, so I got, I got my I got my uh t-shirt on nice. today, if anybody cares there you go Nice. so Casey thank you so much we've already done like uh, a uh, an intro for you so you know we just kind of want to jump right into it yeah no. Um yeah. You. But first off, thank you for joining us. I know it's really early. I'm. I'm sure you and your family have church or something to go to later on. Sure. <laughs> now I, I just recently quit coffee, so let's see how this goes. Oh God! Oh, yikes! Blasphemy. So uh, okay. You, now your your interest began as a teenager, and I I love the way you word it in your bio that you sent us. It, um, as a teenager, I was drawn to the mysterious and the obscure. Now, I love the way you word that. How how are you drawn to the mysterious and the obscure, as, as you put it?
3: it? You know, it all started with uh, Leonard Nimoy and Robert Stack. I mean, growing up watching In Search Of and Unsolved Mysteries and seeing, mm-hmm. you know, all these different um, segments on those shows that covered, you know, a wide variety of phenomena the ones that I always gravitated towards were the ghost stories and the hauntings and, and, and the poltergeist stories. Sure. So as a kid, it fascinated me. You know, I didn't, I didn't have, you know, a decision on whether or not I believed it or not. I just thought it was kind of a fascinating topic and I wanted to kind of dig into it a little more, but you know, back and back then there wasn't really too many outlets, to you know uh, aside from you know children's books on ghost stories and things like that right so it wasn't until i want to say it was about 1990 late 92 early 93 i was at a yard sale mm-hmm. and on this blanket on this yard in my neighborhood was a bunch of books and two books that caught my eye was the poltergeist by william g rawl mm-hmm. and esp hauntings and poltergeist by lloyd arbaugh and Rall- Wow, fifty cents a piece. So I I scored two books that would kind of change my you know outlook on the paranormal, and it all it only cost a dollar, uh, and I was kind of off to the races at that point.
1: Very good. Yeah, wh- when did you when did you do your first investigation? The one that kind of just sealed the deal for you and said that this is what I want to do.
3: My uh, my
1: first investigate,
3: if you can call it really an investigation. So I, I grew up in Southern California in a little town called Whittier and in between Whittier and this other town called Hacienda Heights it was this big canyon called Turnbull Mm -hmm. Canyon and every canyon has their you know folklore and and ghost stories and everything anything from satanic rituals to um you know car wrecks and and Turnbull Canyon had no shortage of car wrecks I mean you could see so many wrecked cars at the bottom of the canyon and um there was this particular story that really caught my attention, and it was it was one of those stories that would like kind of flow through the school. Mm-hmm. And it was about this this uh, this plot of land up on the hill. It used to be a really nice area in the canyon, and um, one one year the house burned down. Supposedly, everybody but the baby got out. So um, if you go there on a particular day or night. Um, you're supposed to sit there and then you hear the wind, like there was like, like a whole list of things that were supposed to happen before you were supposed to expect something to happen. So a buddy, buddy and mine went up there. I I think I was probably 13 or 14 at the time. My buddy had just gotten his license. We shouldn't have been up there. Um, Mm -hmm. and we just kind of did a stakeout and I had a, you know, one of those big, uh, I think the brand i had was realistic it was a cassette tape recorder that had one of those plug-in little uh dynamic mics and oh, yeah. uh, just we sat there and i think i burned through maybe three cassettes both sides not a damn thing happened um but it was enough to keep me going so from there <clears throat> from there we just kept kind of going and And, you know, checking out, we went to Linda Vista Hospital shortly after it closed its doors. Oh, Um, right. And, you know, I don't condone it, but as a kid, you don't think of those things. And we kind of snuck in and just kind of walked the halls of this abandoned hospital. And I want to say the hospital, I think the hospital closed out in 93, and we snuck in sometime around 94, 95. And, um... Yeah, that and that one was me visiting California. At that point, I would already moved up to Oregon. Okay, um, but there was still um, so yeah. much I wanted to do and like kind of check out in California at that point in time.
1: Right. You know, but before we move on to you uh, going up to Oregon, you know, I want to talk a little bit more about Linda Vista Hospital. Um, a, a lot of people are not familiar with um, with that hospital and its history with ghosts. Um, definitely a very fascinating history. You want to tell our listeners about that? yeah. so
3: so basically, anybody who lives in Southern California is very well of the Boyle Heights area of Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. It's not a safe area for uh, no stretch of the imagination. If you're going to go there, you <laughs> um, you don't go there in the middle of the night as a kid or as a teenager. And, you know, in some cases, as an adult, because back then, was a really really bad bad area and so Linda Vista uh, they treated and and I want to say it opened in like the late 1800s early 1900s and then ran as one of the general hospitals for that area until 93 Um, in that time it saw a lot of death and and we're talking a lot of gang violence death so they were you know dealing with a lot of uh, drive-by shootings and a lot of uh, Gangland type, you know, crime, right? On top of you know, cancer and you know all all of the you know general run-of-the-mill uh, deaths that you would see at a hospital. So that's kind of where all the ghost stories started to uh, play out. And again, hanging out at Linda Vista, not a damn thing happened. So yeah. you, you know, I'm starting to get to a point where it's like, you know, yeah, it's fascinating, but nothing's happening, and you as you obviously as you guys know the more you do a specific location the more things happen it doesn't necessarily happen within the first six hours or whatnot of an investigation like you see on tv (laughs)
1: right (laughs) so um so you you're done in southern california you've now moved on to oregon Uh, Mm um i've never been to either place but um, I have a son who lives up in Oregon, and mm-hmm. I know that it's it's very beautiful up there. Um, let's talk about Oregon Paranormal. Yeah. Um, how did you start Oregon Paranormal? And uh, who are the, the gentlemen, I believe you call them the League of Extrasensory Gentlemen that you work with, I, I, I love the name of that. It is, it's a, a fun name, or,
3: it, it's definitely a fun name. Yeah, so I moved up in 94, didn't know a damn person. Um, so I just kind of, dove into books and and just kept you know researching the paranormal and all that stuff and and i want to say 96 or 97 uh i was working at this sandwich shop next to the sandwich shop there was a, a little mexican restaurant called machismo mouse and one of the employees uh we used to take our smoke breaks and next thing you know we both found out that we both had this shared love for the paranormal and we just would you know share ghost stories and you know, talk about stories we've heard about the Brown Lady and things like that. And it was like, yeah, you know, it'd be really cool to you know put together a group someday. Mm-hmm. Um, and we talked about that year after year after year. He took off, went taught in Alaska for about a year. We lost contact for a while, and then in about 2009, he came back. We started talking about putting together a team a team meaning just him and I, but an organized, uh, organized system. Um, and that's kind of, that was kind of the the building blocks of Oregon paranormal. Uh, so we decided, okay, let's find a name. Um, we weren't necessarily worried about, uh, t-shirts at that point in time. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was basically, you know, coming up with the documentation and, Uh, building a website and making sure that we had all our ducks in a row before we went live with anything because we We weren't sure what we were really getting into because you know, we were building a phone number the website uh, we were building a Facebook presence and um, we were kind of uh, Off to the races at that point in time and it kind of grew from there from you know just a little kind of ghost hunting group into more of a we need to take this a little bit more seriously because now clients are calling us and they're having issues at their home and it wasn't right. just about, you know, satisfying a fascination for us. It was about helping people. Right. So that's kind of when we teetered more towards the research end of things.
1: Mm-hmm. So uh, tell us about your First investigation that you had with Oregon Paranormal you're getting calls from people they're like oh hey I got something going on in my house yeah you know tell us about your first real organized investigation in somebody's home because Steven and I we both have been doing homes for years so actually our first official investigation was a
3: business and uh, thanks to my uncle Uh, so my uncle owned an old uh, bar uh, here in, in my town that I live in now uh, it's called the White Horse Saloon. And mm-hmm. it had been a bunch of different businesses beforehand, but I remember him, you know, every Christmas we'd all get together and everybody kind of knew that I had this thing about the paranormal. So they would always come up to me and tell me their stories. And my uncle told me these stories that he would see, you know, this this guy after closing the bar at night, uh, he'd be the only one there. You know, he's, he's running the numbers for the night and closing things down. And he would see this guy come out of the restrooms. And he was always wearing a white t-shirt, blue jeans, and he would walk towards this particular area of the the, the bar, and then he was gone. Mm. And it got to a point where various other people who worked for the rest or for the bar were, you know, witnessing this. So I told him I was starting a business or, a, a, you know, an organization, and asked him if he wouldn't mind if we took a look. And mm-hmm. we literally went in with, I think, one high 8 camera, uh, a, my digital recorder, or not digital, it was that cassette tape recorder, yeah. and a mag light. And that was kind of our first investigation. And we also had uh, one EMF gauge. And it was an eye-opener because that's when I realized that, one, the building was not to code. <laughs> <laughs> and what I mean by that is, I love my uncle to death but he would bring in these local handymen and mm-hmm. they would you know rewire the lighting and when yeah. i mean rewire they would run extension cords above the scaffolding to these um big fluorescent lighting um so nothing was shielded in this in this house or in this uh, restaurant
1: yeah
3: and you go towards the the women's restroom. And all of a sudden, you just... You started getting, like, this very uneasy feeling. And it was the same area where a lot of people would report these very weird feelings. They would see things. Um, and they just had these really weird feelings of dread or that they were being watched. Yeah. Well, when you go into the women's restroom, there's this little door that goes into this cinder block room where the new breaker box is that the handyman put in. And it was radiating so much electromagnetic energy that it would shut off the EMF gauge wow so, um, that was our first indication that people were being exposed to really really high electromagnetic fields and were potentially experiencing um,
1: hallucinations because of it we yeah but told them about it oh go ahead I was just gonna say I mean but what people are seeing is very specific and everybody exactly. seems to be seeing it. So, you know, I, of course I accept, and I know that high EMS causes kind of thing, but this is a very specific apparition that people are seeing. So, so this is, this is where it's different. So
3: where this gentleman is being seen on the complete opposite side of the restroom. Mm-hmm. So that part, we couldn't explain. Yeah. But, when he did bring in a proper electrician to fix that breaker box, a lot of that uneasiness, a lot of what the, uh, the waitresses and the bartenders were experiencing went away. That doesn't, that doesn't explain away what was going on on the other side that had no EMF uh, fluctuations or, or, or whatnot. So the downfall is that we never went back uh, mm-hmm. because my uncle sold the business. The business does not acknowledge anything about the paranormal um i've tried reaching out to them um so that's kind of an unfortunate thing um but we were able to kind of alleviate some of the fear and frustration that a lot of the employees were dealing with at the time and for us being super super young investigators it was kind of an eye-opening moment to say hey not only are we looking for the paranormal, but we also have to be looking for the natural things that could be causing physiological changes within the human body that could um,
1: be misperceived as paranormal. And and you know, um, before we take a break and get to your uh, documentary on um, on the permanence, yeah. um, let's let's talk a little bit about those um, about those physical things that can happen. You know, um, besides. Um, high EMFs, what else can cause uh, that kind of thing that, that you have found in your investigations? Oh, uh, man, uh,
3: so, so we were investigating a home and they had, again, a handyman doing the plumbing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, you've got your, your vents uh, for venting out sewer gas that go up to the roof. Well, instead of venting it up to the roof, they were venting it right into the attic space. Okay, which was circulating right into the HVAC system, back into the home. Um, You know, we've dealt with uh, situations where people had black mold in their house or they had open uh, chemical containers that were right next to registers that were sucking in supposed fresh air and cycling it through the house. Same with natural gas. I mean, the the list of things is uh, pretty vast. And that's when, yeah. you know, when, we, when we're when we dealing with those kind of situations, we have to bring in people that uh, are outside the paranormal field. And what I, what I mean by that are, are, you know, people that specialize in, you know, analyzing molds and spores and, 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 and those things, as well as, you know, people that are properly licensed to fix plumbing and electricity
1: yeah i I think that you know one of the first things that i tell people before i do any kind of investigation have you had an electrician in your house are your windows drafty um how old is your home is it settling is it Mm -hmm. you know possibly sliding off the um um, foundation which is something that does happen very slowly but surely and um you know a lot of times you really can I I hate using the word debunk, but, you know, for lack of a better term, you can usually debunk most hauntings um, by doing that. But here's what we're going to do, Casey. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we really want to talk about your film, The Permanence, uh, a paranormal case study at a fascinating location. And um, so stick around. This is the Shadow Initiative TV with uh, myself and Stephen Lancaster and our guest, Casey Goodwin. Uh, We'll be right back.
2: Hey my friends, check out my good friend Chris Beck and his work at All Around Art. From lifelike paintings to detailed sketches to phenomenal tattoo artistry, if you can dream it, Chris can bring it to life on canvas or your skin. His art has been showcased in published works such as the paranormal best-selling book, Norman II, The True Story of a Possessed Doll's Revenge. Visit him online at facebook.com slash allaround.art.54.
0: The thoughts, views, beliefs, and opinions expressed in this program are not necessarily those of our affiliate networks.
2: But Rick, we are rolling again. You can Rick Roll us right back in.
1: (laughs) Never going to give
2: you up. No,
1: don't. (laughs) Sorry, buddy. So uh, yeah, welcome back to the Shadow Initiative TV with your hosts, uh, myself, Rick Hale, and uh, Stephen Lancaster. And uh, today we still ha- we are still speaking with uh, Casey Goodwin of Oregon Paranormal. So Casey, we've we've talked about your origin story, which is you know what we really really love to cover on the show because our format is the normal everyday guy who is into the super normal, I guess you could say. So, you know, California to Oregon, and now in Oregon, this leads us up to the film that you are currently working on, called The Permanence, a paranormal case study. You've been working on this for a while, and I just get the sense it's because you want to get it right. So, you know, tell us about the about the permanence. Uh, what is it about?
3: So I wanna I'm gonna touch back on your question from the first half about the League of Extrasensory Gentlemen because that plays a huge role in this. So uh, Ben Robison, a mutual friend of ours, uh, asked me to be his best man for his wedding. So it was my task to figure out the bachelor party. So what do a bunch of paranormal investigators do for a bachelor party? Mm -hmm. Get rid of the strippers and we go to a haunted location. Uh, So I reached out to uh, Katie Brown, who was the proprietor and owner of, who is the proprietor and owner of the Old Wheeler Hotel, and I said, hey, uh, Ben's getting married, and uh, we were wondering if maybe we could get the hotel for a weekend and do just kind of a a bachelor party investigation and um, kind of just see what we get. Mm-hmm. She wasn't um, opposed to it, and she's not the type of person to let a bunch of people just run rampant through her hotel and and through the bowels of the hotel and, and whatnot. Um, so this was very new to her. And um, she she knew all of us. And, you know, we got there. Neil McNeil, one of my dearest friends, um, he put, together cool these little, he put together these little gift sets. And inside the gift sets, it was like a, the logo of, um, it was because we all have beards or some form of facial hair so it was this skull with a top hat and a beard and inside it had these little trinkets and things and he dubbed it the league of Extrasensory or he dubbed us all kind of uh, lovingly the league of extrasensory gentlemen which was kind of a play on the league of uh, extraordinary gentlemen right and, Great which i'm surprised book. we haven't been sued yet um <laughs> <laughs> but uh during this bachelor party i kind of proposed an idea it's like you know, we all have this huge passion for the paranormal and this distaste for how it's portrayed in the media. And Mm -hmm. why not do our own documentary? And at the time, we were just thinking, oh, you know, I've got this HD camera, we'll just film it and blah, 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 and we'll be done. And it turned into this huge beast of a project. And we essentially had to come up with a name. So we came up with the permanence. And, and the reason we went with the permanence is Katie, that's what she lovingly calls her guests, the, the, the people that are still residing in the hotel. So mm-hmm. we thought, you know, the permanence is a, is a great title. Um, what would the subtitle be? Well, a case study, not an investigation. We want something that shows longevity. And and at this point, we're at longevity because we've been filming this for about three years now.
0: In the summer of 2016, in the common room of the Old Wheeler Hotel, a small group of friends and colleagues had a spirited discussion about the state of the field of paranormal investigation, just five of us bringing our different viewpoints to the table. Over the course of the conversation, a rather ambitious idea was proposed, the creation of a film project highlighting the real elements of an actual case study of paranormal phenomena and how those elements differ from what is generally shown by television reality programming and other popular media. After more discussion and daydreaming about possible places that would be appropriate for a case study, we realized that we were already sitting in the perfect film location. Our combined interest and love for the Old Wheeler Hotel's unique charm, fascinating history and ongoing paranormal activity made it a natural choice for a documentary. We felt the hotel had a story to tell, and we wanted to help tell it by faithfully and respectfully documenting the building's history, as well as those who have come to be known as its more permanent guests.
4: January of 2009, I went out for a drive. I lived in Washington State and I decided to do something very brave and set out on my own. I'd never seen the Oregon coast before. And being January, it was stormy and wet and rainy, and I didn't know where I was heading or what I was going to do. And when I got to Nehalem, a little town across the way, it was storming really hard. The town was flooding. And when I crossed the bridge, I saw that there was this beautiful sunny, happy building it's felt to me and I felt drawn to it and so when I got across the bridge and down the highway a little bit farther I saw the vacancy sign. So the building that I saw across the river was actually a hotel.
0: Our intention was to spotlight what actual paranormal field investigation involves by uncovering the history of the site, documenting its reported activity and examining the data using sound scientifically based methods. In addition, We wanted to honor the work of the pioneers of psychical research and of parapsychology, to whom modern paranormal investigators owe a huge debt of gratitude. The film would be cinematic in its look and feel, but it also demanded a realistic, raw and unscripted approach. So there would be no manipulation of viewers' emotions, no jump scares, no ominous music, no Hollywood hype. At its core, we wanted the film to challenge the ways in which paranormal field research is presented by the media and thereby perceived by the public. Essentially, we wanted to give viewers a very honest and thought-provoking experience and to allow them to form their own opinions and conclusions without the use of the emotional setups and sensationalized editing that have become the norm in paranormal investigation.
4: My first night in room five, at about two in the morning, the lights went on, all of the lights went on. And I got up and turned them off. I thought that was a little odd, but I didn't give it a second thought really. Turned them off and went back to bed and it didn't happen the rest of the day. My second night, it happened again. About four or five months after I purchased it and I noticed that there were some odd anomalies happening that were consistent from the rooms. Guests would mention the same things, TV turning on or the lights turning on. I think the first experience I had, understanding that there was something here. It was a woman who came up my stairs. She drove here from Arizona. She felt that she needed to tell me, she had a message for me. And she told me that they had been looking for me for a long time. After I came to understand that there wasn't just one or two, there were dozens of entities here. And each floor has different souls that are here. I call them my permanent guests because they've chosen to be here. And I've, so now they've just become my my permanents.
0: In addition, we wanted to highlight the different approaches and points of view of each of the members of the team. Neil McNeil, parapsychology consultant with over 25 years of experience in field research and paranormal education. Michael White, whose approach to research and experimental design incorporates both pragmatic and intuitive methods. Jay Verberg, a former paranormal reality TV personality turned investigator with a passion for historical research. Ben Robison, a skilled investigator and technical advisor focusing on new theories of survival and after-death communications. Casey Goodwin, paranormal researcher and technical lead who brings a grounded analytical and technical approach to his casework. Just as our filmmaking team is more than the sum of its parts, paranormal investigation is more than just video, audio, and electronic evidence. So to be complete, our film also needed the input and knowledge of known experts in the areas of parapsychology, neuroscience and consciousness research, and also include the perceptions and interpretations of professional psychic mediums.
4: And I, I feel that they are keeping me safe and protected and I feel an obligation to them once I recognized that they are here that I need to protect them too. Whatever entities are here, I've never felt fear, I've never felt anything negative. I believe I'm at a point now where I feel that her story should be told, the story of this building, and I closed the place down for investigations for years. And for the last several years, I've quietly gotten to know a small group of individuals that I felt were conscientious and intelligent, and I have trust in them that the story can be told properly, that she is, this building is a living, breathing entity that houses a lot more than just the living. But I've never had any reason to be afraid of anything in this building.
0: With everyone in agreement, the film project commenced with the ambitious goal of completing the production this year for release in 2019. To stay up to date with the progress of our story, please visit the film's website at thepermanencefilm.com. Thanks,
3: COVID. Um, yeah. So- uh... We all felt
1: those effects.
3: Yeah. So, um, honestly at, at the time we weren't, we didn't even have a location picked out. We were looking at, you know, locations all over Washington, all over Oregon. And then Katie's like, well, why don't you just film it here? Mm-hmm. And we thought, wow, that's, that's a really great idea. It's very gracious of you to offer that. And she, and it was, it was humbling because she trusted us, um, yeah. with, with her home. Um, and, and when, yeah, she lives in the hotel. So, I mean, there's a huge burden, um, That we get this right so that's why we wanted to do this right so the league of extrasensory gentlemen is comprised of ben robison of the autonomous studies of the enigmatic and paranormal Ben loves titles uh, but we call it asep for short you got michael white paranormal uh, research and investigations out of washington jay verberg who is our uh, director of historical research for organ paranormal uh formerly greenhorn miner of the tv show ghost mine Mm -hmm. Huge passion for historical research. And Neil McNeil. Neil McNeil runs the Paranormal Studies Institute. He is a parapsychologist in, um, uh, not formal parapsychologist, but in training. He's been studying under Lloyd Auerbach
2: for years.
3: Really good friends with him. Um, So we have this kind of well-rounded team. Uh, Ben and I, uh, kind of technical, very skeptical Um, Michael is very analytical with his Navy training and, and, you know, tactical stuff. And and then Neil with his parapsychology background and, of course, uh, Jay with the history. So we thought we really had this really well-rounded team to put together a documentary. So from there, it went on to, okay, how do we do a documentary? Sure. We're all fans of documentaries. We love film. But, like, we need to think of equipment because... You can have a great picture, but if you have horrible sound, you're going to lose the audience. If you Mm -hmm. have horrible editing, you're going to lose the audience. So it was, you know, months and months of researching cameras, months and months of researching different types of production, microphones and lighting, Um, not necessarily for the investigative part, but for the cinematic stuff, like the interviews with the the witnesses and the past um, employees and, you know, people who used to work in the hotel and the different iterations of what that hotel was back in the day. And we're talking about a business that's been around since 19, I want to say, 23. I I wish Jay were here to confirm some of these dates, but um, it was originally a hotel that was built in the 1800s. It had burned down. A new hotel had been built in its place. And the construction, I want to say, started in 1920, and it was completed in 1923, 1924 but it was built out of concrete but on the same plot of land the history um, dates back to i want to say the 1880s 1890s the big lumber boom where um, Wheeler was kind of, the town of Wheeler where the the hotel is located was the kind of the lumber hub of the Pacific Northwest i mean we were we were sending lumber down to San Francisco to rebuild San Francisco after the big quake yeah um, and so because it was a lumber town, it saw a lot of disasters at the the lumber sites. Uh, the mining camps were sending people in that were dealing with, you know, Spanish flu or, you know, people being crushed or, or killed by, you know, falling debris or uh, drowning in the Halem Bay, which is directly across the street from the hotel. So the hotel saw just this gamut of different um tragic events over its time Mm -hmm. and over time the hotel shut down it became a brothel for a time it became a dance hall for a time and then it lay dormant for for quite a while and then i think it became a grocery store at one point in time Mm -hmm. and then in the i want to say the 1970s it became a uh, pain clinic that was treating uh anything from um arthritis pain to just general pain and they did a lot of different type of experimental medication there. So people from all over the U S would come to this, uh, this, uh, this clinic to be treated. They had an optoma, uh, an ophthalmologist on site and they had this awesome laboratory downstairs. I mean, it was a working, uh, pain clinic. They had hydrotherapy and, you know, all sorts of things that, you know, a clinic would have that would specialize in that kind of medicine. Um, And at a a time, it was also a general hospital, and uh, we haven't been able to substantiate the claims yet, um, but it was, we've been told that it was uh, used as a morgue for a while um, for a lot of the miners, or not the miners, I'm sorry, the logging, the loggers that were there. So we've got a lot of information from all these different sources throughout decades of, you know, documentation that we've had to pour through. On top mm-hmm. of that, we've had to, you know, pour through a lot of the guest book entries from the hotel over uh, 13 years. Right. And then and then try and extrapolate which ones are, are credible versus which ones are being, you know, um, maybe guided because they read the early pages of a guest book for a particular room. Sure. Um, and then other, yeah. And then one of the other things that we've had to look at is all of the false... Uh, information that's been put out there on the internet mm-hmm. um, all the false claims from past business owners that were trying to drum up business for the hotel uh, you know stories that just aren't true and um, it's just it's it's been a huge process huge learning curve for us uh, really? at the beginning we weren't filmmakers and and now I can confidently say that you know we are even though we're not done um, we've we've learned quite a bit in the time that we've been in production.
1: Well, I think that's what we do in this field as we learn. But you know, we have we've, we've talked about the about the history, we've talked about the technical aspects of your film at the uh Old Wheeler Inn. Let's talk about the permanents themselves, because this place just sounds extraordinarily haunted, almost as if it's a magnet for all the ghosts in the area. So can you give us, you know, a um, a thumbnail sketch of the kind of things that go on and um can you maybe put a, you know, a, a name to a face with some of these permanents?
3: Some of the names that we've gotten so far... And I don't want to give away the names, I don't want to give away too much information because you got to watch the film. Sure. Uh, but uh, we, we do have an inclination of a couple of the guests that were former employees of the clinic. Um, I've I've experienced personally uh, voices throughout the hotel. Um, we've you know heard you know footsteps,
1: mm-hmm. um,
3: doors opening and closing. Uh, about two years ago, Katie and Jay uh, they took a vacation to Europe. So I said, okay, so what's going on with the hotel while you guys are gone? Yeah. And they said it's going to be closed down. It's like, can I get in there? And they said, yeah, absolutely. So I went by myself. And we're we're talking about a thirty thousand square foot building, mm-hmm. three levels. You've got the the main hotel level, you've got the business level, that street level, and then you've got the original clinic, or where the laboratories and and you know the X-ray labs and all that on in the basement level. So I had the full run of the place by myself, knowing that nobody else was in the building was a lot easier to control the environment and just kind of just sit and observe. Right. And I I, I kind of equated to like uh the movie poltergeist when you see all the parapsychologists sitting in the living room they're not like walking around the building and you know trying to interact and everything they're just observing the location they're taking in all the data that they're being fed by the machines and their own senses Mm -hmm. and um i wanted to set up some you know little experiments here and there and and try and um figure out some you know head scratchers here and there um while I was there, I experienced this conversation that was happening in Katie and Jay's uh, living space. And um, that my first inclination was, I need to call the police, because it was that clear. And I knew I was the only one who had a key. I knew I was the only one authorized to be in the building. And then I thought, wait a minute, I had to take a step back and I had to kind of just sit and, and listen. And though I couldn't, make out what they were saying. It was a kind of a jovial conversation. You could hear the laughter. Um, there's a door right next to their main entry that looks out into the back of the hotel. So I could see the outdoors. There was nobody out there. The businesses had already been closed for the day. And if you know Wheeler, it's a very quiet, quiet community. It's not like the very touristy parts of the coast. Mm-hmm. So um, I was able to rule out the voices from being outside it was very distinct of course i didn't have anything rolling at the time
1: because i was setting up the
3: experiments down in the basement
1: and Um, it happens (laughs) uh
3: michael's experience michael and and ben have both experienced um in room nine Somebody sitting down on the bed Mm -hmm. Um, jay's experienced voices throughout the hotel and and Jay, um, because Jay is uh, Katie's boyfriend, lives in the hotel 24 hours a day, and he has had more experiences than I think any of us have in the time that Maybe. we've been uh, researching the hotel. Um, and, and a lot of it is, you know, he hears a voice here, and, and a lot of it is, you know, uh, of a woman. Um, but again, it's it's hard to make it out. And a lot of times when we're experiencing these things, we're not in investigative mode. We're just we're just kind of there you know discussing you know production things and whatnot or we're just there for the weekend
1: well i think that that's quite common i mean you know throughout the um history of psychical research you know i still believe in just like you said just doing a vigil and sitting there and experiencing and observing and you know it's there there have been times where it kind of makes me wonder it's like what are we meant to actually document this stuff or just experience what are what are your thoughts on that
3: I I completely agree. I, I you know we're dealing with a hundred plus years worth of research, but not a lot of evidence has come forth. Not a lot of concrete evidence to say right. one way or another whether or not we're actually experiencing these things, or you know whether or not you know it's something that that we're projecting onto the environment, or you know the observer effect. So it's very. <laughs> It's very difficult to kind of pinpoint that but yes. I think we're getting to a point I, I, I would hope um, the more we're kind of going with a lot of what the researchers did in the past and I, I, I would hope that at some point people will start discovering people like Tony Cornell and Lloyd Auerbach and D Scott Rogo and even uh, Gertrude Schmiedler and, 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 and people like that that put in the really heavy work that the TV people are, you know, cashing in on. Right. And it's sad because there's, you know, all this research out there, all these, you know, abstract articles and, and reports and, and catalogs, parapsychology catalogs, that nobody knows about. They're just going mm-hmm. to the Zach Baggins and the Jason Hawses. And it's very unfortunate because if we keep going down that route, this stuff is just going to disappear. I
1: agree. You know, I think think what we're going to do, we're going to take a break right now. And uh, when we come back, I want to touch on that a little bit more because I know that you yourself are just as opinionated as uh, Stephen and I are concerning the – entertainment or celebrity side of all of this so uh, what we're going to do is we're going to take a break and uh when we come back we're going to still be talking to casey goodwin and uh getting his thoughts on the state of the paranormal Uh, this is the shadow initiative with uh rick hale and Stephen lancaster stick around
2: do you enjoy reading about the paranormal check out the highly rated literary works from us the hosts of shadow initiative tv Paranormal Investigator Rick Hale offers you The Geek's Guide to the Strange and Unusual, Poltergeists, Ghosts, and Demons, Bullets, Booze, and Babes, The Haunted History of Chicago and Illinois, and behold, shocking true tales of terror, and some other spooky stuff. But if you're thirsty for more, I bring you True Case Files of a Paranormal Investigator, and dark spirits a man terrorized by the supernatural. But if you want to go even further, dive deep into the dark reality of haunted dolls. Check out my paranormal bestsellers, Norman, the doll that needed to be locked away, and Norman 2, the true story of a possessed doll's revenge. Available at Amazon, Barnes and & Noble, and wherever fine books are sold. So, uh, Casey, I was thinking, buddy, you know, you were talking about that bachelor party, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and how you guys were just nixing the, the strippers.
4: Well, yeah. see,
2: Rick has a case with a dead hooker, and you could have, like, had the best of both worlds. You should have got That's a hold true. of Rick. You should have got oh, a hold of him. Man. He'd be glad he to sure tell you lies, about it.
1: Casey.
2: You know, didn't <laughs> no. you? I mean, Rick, I was just saying, like, he with the bachelor party he should have got up with you because you know he wanted to do a paranormal thing and and not the strippers well if he would have got up with you with your dead hooker case you could have done the paranormal thing (laughs) and the hooker
1: oh my god we this is episode 15 and this goes way back to episode one with uh with the dead hooker but it's true that is funny (laughs) So, Steve, do you want to bring us back in? You know, I I want you to take this because you're actually way more opinionated on this than I am, on the
2: uh, state of the paranormal. I'll bring us back in.
1: All right, guys, welcome
2: back to episode 15 of the Shadow Initiative Paranormal Television right here on YouTube, Facebook, all over the planet. We've got Rick Hale, author, calls himself a ghost hunter. Got this guy, author, calls himself a phenomenologist. That's right, but today nice. we're talking with Casey Goodwin. That's a big word
1: for Stephen. It
2: is, it is. Um, we're talking with Casey Goodwin. It's been some great conversation, and now we're leading into the... Let's get down to it, buddy. The television shows, are they a blessing? Are they a curse? What have they done to benefit the people who are actually, in reality,
3: doing what we do? What do you think about it? I think the only benefit... That came of the shows was that it made it okay for people to made people comfortable talking about it uh, at the water cooler or at you know family functions or parties, um, and and it and it made it okay for people to talk about their own experiences. Uh, what it <laughs> what it's not good, uh, the the downfall to it is all the misinformation and uh lack of research and 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 whatnot that it's kind of put out there and uh ben and i kind of joke around every once in a while we'll go to a a location because you know we do a lot of joint investigation work which is mm-hmm. which is what i love about the pacific northwest is the the community out here is so tight-knit that we work
1: well together but God, i wish it was like that here in chicago let me tell you
3: yeah i was talking about I was talking with Auerbach, and he's like, "Yeah, that's very rare um, yeah. that that happens." Um, so we're we're very blessed <laughs> in, in that uh, aspect. But we were um, we were doing a case one time, and the and the person was like, Well, oh, do 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 you want us to lock you in?" And it's like, "No, no, no, you don't have to. You don't have to lock us in. No padlocks, nothing. I mean, we're going to come in and out." Um, but we we jokingly say we feel like a mop up crew sometimes because the people before they reach out to us feel like they're doing their due diligence and research by watching these TV shows. So they feel like they've come to uh, an understanding of what it is that they're dealing with before they've even called us in because of what they've seen on, um, on A, B or C TV show or what they saw on a movie. And we have to kind of, and, it, and it's really hard because at that point, it becomes a kind of a belief system with them. Mm-hmm. and it's very difficult to shake somebody's belief when it comes to this stuff. Um, so it's it's got its positives, but it's got way more negatives
1: than positives, I think these shows do. I agree. Sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I had an investigation in a house where... Well, I, actually, a couple investigations where the person was like, please don't swear at our ghosts or anything like that or talk harshly to them because... We have to live with them, and then there was another one where the woman was like, you know, um, do you think I have a demon in my house? And and and, and where do they get this stuff from? It's well, I, obvious. Yeah,
3: it, it's it's so obvious, and it and it's it's sad how much the demon card is used now. I mean, I've been I've been doing this for about twenty three years. I've yet to run into a, a Beelzebub or any other demonic figure. Same here. Um, for some reason, people feel like, oh, if it's negative, it's got to be this un, this unhuman thing that never walked the earth or, or blah, blah, blah. I don't subscribe to that stuff. Why can't we just think maybe that the ghost was angry in life and now he's angry in death
1: yeah. and
3: yeah. we're seeing that curmudgeon come up through um, his communications with said client. Uh, it, it just, it, it, it drives me nuts. and And a lot of times people will go, oh, yeah, I've got, I'm smelling sulfur in the house, or things are moving, and they'll go, oh, yeah, that's definitely demon. Well, if you do your research, those demonic uh, claims also match poltergeist claims. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, a lot of the problem, is you have teams popping up and then disappearing, but what they're doing is they're emulating TV, and that's just not, I mean, yeah, we do some of the stuff that you see on TV, but not all of it. Well, shut the lights off because we're there to observe something. And when you shut the lights off, that, that kind of rules out observation. Yeah. Uh, we, as humans, we make really bad observers when it's dark. Sure, it'll heighten other senses and everything, but... If I'm writing on a tablet, I'm taking notes during an investigation, I want to be able to see that I'm making legible notes and I'm not like going sideways down a, uh, up or down a page. Right. Uh, Right. It's very, very
1: frustrating.
0: Well, I I mean, I don't know
1: about, I don't know about you guys, but I've definitely done more investigations during the day. And yeah. yeah. And you know, and it's like somebody says, well, I'm seeing a ghost of a um, Victorian era woman at... 3 p.m., which is, you know, the afternoon. Why would you be there at 3 a.m. to witness something like that? Because chances are she's not going to show up at that time. Well, I'll I'll tell you firsthand,
2: it's because of producers. Because I've Mm -hmm. talked with producers. They want that thrill factor. Because in reality, it's like Casey said, and we have said a thousand times over on this show. You have to be the client. The client wasn't running around with a $30,000 thermal camera when they witnessed what they did. You know, they Mm -hmm, saw it with their own two eyes. They don't need all this other stuff.
3: Right. You know? You investigate to the claims. And if the claims are during the day, then you investigate during the day. It may be a hindrance because of how loud it is outside. But if we're looking for visual stuff, how loud it is outside shouldn't matter.
1: Yeah, no, I uh, agree, when I was, I agree I was, completely. When
3: I was talking with Lloyd, Lloyd told me um, the shift to investigating in the dark started happening at the latter part of the TV show Sightings, um, mm-hmm. when they were doing I I, well, I want to say it was Manresa Castle or something like that, um, because it added that scare factor and everything. And then yeah, sure. every producer since then has gone down that route. And uh, if you see us investigating in the dark in the permanence, it's because there's no power in a specific area or no light bulbs. Um, we, we will have the lights on in this documentary, and I, and I think it'll be a little refreshing. I mean, you yeah. know, I don't think it's
2: a, it's a general rule either, because, and I know you think the same way you've kind of said it yourself, and Rick does too. Yeah, you're going to investigate at night. You're going to investigate during the day. You're going to mm. investigate different times of the year. You know, yeah. the environment has effects on things. Humidity levels, you know, if it's bitter cold outside, you know, it's not just... You just can't go in like these shows perceive, and in a couple hours, you've got it all figured out. You need to right. live that place, and that's what... I'm admiring what you're you're talking about with this hotel, because that's exactly what I do. That's what Rick does. You, you just keep going back, because things that yeah. you once believed... To be paranormal, you may later disprove just because you've
3: spent more time there,
1: or you know, vice versa. Or, exactly. exactly. We uh,
3: we released a piece of audio a couple uh, about a year and a half ago that we got in the hotel during one of our paranormal boot camps that we do, and um, we had set a static audio recorder down in the basement and just let it roll overnight. We we concluded the investigation with our boot camp. Um, participants at about midnight and at about three in the morning, we hear what sounds like a doorknob jiggling. And as we're going through the data the next day with all the participants, um, we came across that thing and we're, we're sitting there going like, well, there's not very many doors down in the basement. What could be making that sound? And then we're like, well, okay, there's, there's two doors that have that we know of that have two working doorknobs. Let's go Mm -hmm. test it out. So what we teach the participants is we've got a map of the hotel. And then on that map shows which direction cameras are pointing, where exactly we're setting our audio recorders. That way, if we have to go back and replicate the setup, we can. So Jay and I took the the recorder down there. Matter of fact, Michael came down with us and he was recording us as we're filming uh, this recreation and jay and i are we're we're checking uh, there's this upstairs kind of speakeasy door and we were checking that now it didn't sound right and i was checking the door that was right next to the uh, audio recorder now didn't sound right so it was a head scratcher but during that that recording we had the audio recorder set where it was originally it was recording we caught what sounded like somebody saying uh-oh almost like they were burping it and it was so loud <laughs> And on the, it was on the spectrum of, I think it was around 600 Hertz. We should have heard it with our own ears. So that was one of those cool moments where we were going down to figure out, um, you know, what it was we were recording and got something else. I don't know where I was going with this, but it's just, it's a fascinating piece. And it's, and it's very important that, that people kind of do that due diligence on a long case study. And when you go into a location for eight hours, you don't have that luxury. Um, so yeah, repeat visits. That's that's where I was going, repeat visits um, to a location can help either disprove something or not disprove something. So I just remembered where I was going with this. When I was there by myself, I figured out what that doorknob noise was, and it was actually a pipe above the hallway that was rubbing against another pipe as rainwater was coming through an old pipe. Wow. Oh, so there you go. But see, I wasn't some... trying to debunk it. It just it happened to be there, and I was like, "Holy crap! That's that's what we recorded. That we thought." at the time was a doorknob and that's the biggest issue i have
2: with with the weekend warriors you know and then and the, the people emulating the, the tv shows is they don't go back they just take everything for face value i, I had one time exactly. i had one time with a, a digital audio recorder. i mostly use tape and film because that stuff can be validated but one of my investigators was using a digital audio recorder and we picked up a voice that said right there I mean, plain as day, a male voice. And I, I played it for the uh, owner of this particular factory we were investigating. And he goes, that's my voice. How did you all get that? I'm like, what are you talking about? Oh, interesting. He was on the other hmm. side of the yeah. factory in his office on the phone with his wife. And she's looking for the keys and he's describing where those keys were at. And he kept saying, it's right there. It's right yeah. there. You know, now, if we wouldn't have played that for him or there wouldn't have been that clarification, that would have been put out as, as some kind exactly. of otherworldly voice. And with that being said, I always, I like how you described, how you set everything up the same, you monitor mm-hmm. everything. You know, I love that because I do the same thing. And I've always been a firm believer that if you've got a series of audio recorders in a room and you've got cameras running, the, the most valid uh, voice phenomena to me it's on everything. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. these people just, you're sitting, you see these investigators all the time, and there's six of them in a room, but only one guy got the voice? Right. You know, why isn't it recorded on
1: everything? Yeah, it's a bit suspicious.
3: When you look at the TV shows, going back to that, um, one, that you know, they're, they're spouting out facts that, that just truly aren't true. I mm-hmm. mean, and, and we don't even do that saying like, oh, it's this, or oh, it's that, or oh, you're dealing with this because of that. Um, But you'll notice on all the new shows, they're all using, for the most part, this stupid little cheap Panasonic audio recorder. The Ghost Adventure guys are using it now. I I think I've seen them use it on uh, Amy Bruni's show. It was an audio recorder that was... Defective that was recalled by Panasonic because of interference of the internal mechanisms within... It just wasn't shielded correctly, so the microphone is picking up internal radiation and mechanics, and it's spitting it out garbled. And people Mm. are... It's an instant, instant pareidolia. People think that they're getting voices, and it gets ratings for these shows. It's like no matter what. I mean, we tested it at the hotel sure enough we, we we had all this gook on it but then when you use something like an h6 or an h5 recorder um or even just like a just a standard you know uh, sony you know digital recorder right they don't come up we don't get instant results like you do on the tv shows so there's something up and and what that is is they're, they're selling ad space and, and there's no educational purpose for these shows. It's entertainment only.
1: So, you know, I thought I've long believed that the um... Oh, is that it right? This is a oh, plug. Yeah.
2: If you can if you can find this audio recorder, it is the bomb. And I'll tell you why. Because it, it, it records in three sixty stereo. It also has wireless microphones. So if you're leaving an area, let's say you're leaving that audio recorder in room A, you take these little remote wireless microphones and place them around the perimeter. So when you pick something up on this audio recorder, you can also verify it from other rooms. Was it something that somebody said four rooms down?
3: You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. It's mixing everything. Yeah. It's amazing. I love it. But here's. Here's the caveat to that, because um, I've always been kind of skeptical about wireless mm-hmm. is picking up stray frequencies within that wireless uh, frequency. And it
2: does, it does. The the guy with he was on his cell
3: phone and the digital mm-hmm.
2: audio recorder that she was using, the RLC circuits was picking up the frequency from
3: his cell phone, yep. the, RF, the RF feed. And that's how it, yeah. it. I mean, it happens. So I always laugh when people have a K two meter and they're out there. They yeah. so They're out in the middle of nowhere and there's no power to this building it's like that k2 meter if you fart it'll go off
1: (laughs) (laughs) yep Yep. yeah you know i i I, I didn't fart so that's not my personal experience with the k2 meter but you know i was at a house investigation it was when Mm -hmm. i was with the mchenry county paranormal research group and um we had the k2 and it kept going off well i had to leave my phone on because we had just had our son He was maybe a few weeks old. Yeah. And uh, I had it turned down and I couldn't feel it in my pocket when the uh, vibration was going off. So my wife is trying to get a hold of me. And by this time, I'm in huge trouble. (laughs) (laughs) You you guys are dads, so you both know what that trouble is. Uh And um, that every time that she called, that K2 meter would go off. Yeah. And it's, it's, It's not a reliable piece of equipment. No. In my opinion, the most reliable piece of equipment are your senses. But that's because, you know, I'm an old school guy that goes back to uh, old school values in the paranormal. And, you know, I would
3: and and I do agree with that. But I would also challenge that because anybody's seen that damn show Brain Games. (laughs) Your senses are always getting screwed up on that stupid show. You always think you know the answer, and then they go, "Well, it was this."
0: Uh, like,
1: yeah. I've never seen that.
3: Oh, you got to see it. As a matter of fact, they've they've got a couple shows that they've done on the paranormal. Okay. One with uh, Ouija boards that was very fascinating. Uh, um, the MEI,
1: yeah, what, what did they call that? The idiometer effect or idiomotor
3: uh, effect? effect.
1: Idiomotor effect, right? Yeah. yeah.
3: Canada did a really, there was a, a Canadian institute that did a really fascinating study on the idiomotor effect with, um, a, like it was like a triple blind study mm-hmm. and it's just fascinating the results that they got from, you know, so I think it was like a two year or three year study of different individuals doing Ouija boards, being fed certain information, not being fed information and just seeing what they were coming up with, including like doing
1: blindfold tests and, um, Yeah, parlor tricks. Yeah, I was like, you know, I I think one of my favorite stories that I've heard in recent years came out of Mexico. And uh, it was about a a young girl who was um, experimenting with the Ouija board. It was her and some friends or whatever. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, she got possessed. And, you know, running around the place, acting like an animal, howling, you know, whatever. So they had the paramedics come and take her away, and she got loose and proceeded to beat the shit out of the uh, paramedics and and hospital staff. What they failed to tell you, and of course they failed to tell you in these kind of stories, before she started doing the Ouija board, she had ingested a buttload of hallucinogenic drugs. Gotcha. So... (laughs) <laughs> she's on like these hallucinogenic drugs, plus she's doing something where there's expectation of something terrible happening. So yeah, of course she's going to have that um, reaction. So you know, with the Ouija board, I, I have problems being afraid of something that sits next to shoots and ladders and monopoly in the toy department. Not yeah. scary in my opinion. Exactly.
3: Yeah, no, I, I, I love collecting them. I think uh, I love the history of them, mm-hmm. but I don't put any stock into them whatsoever. I've used them. They've never worked. Uh, yeah. But, of course, when I use them with other people, magically they start working. So, I mean, I can play with my mom, and I trust my mom to death, but if that thing starts to move, I know she's moving it. <laughs> well, you know, the thing The
2: thing is, though, when it, when it comes down to it, anything could be used as a communication tool. Sure. You know, it's how you document it that matters. Yeah. You know, and it's like, my, my crew hates me because we shoot with film. Because mm-hmm. you can have film analyzed, and, and it may not truly be a ghost on that film, but it can be said that it wasn't manipulated. And it's, you... you know, it's a pain in my butt because I have to watch 64 hours of video go live into my computer before I can start, you know, really analyzing anything. But... Yeah, yeah. Even then, even then, it's like Rick and I talked before we, we brought you on the show. It's like you got to look at why we do this because it, it obviously isn't to prove it to anybody because it doesn't matter what you have. You've got the people who believe everything and the people who don't. Mm-hmm. What do you do,
1: you know? Yeah, Yeah, it's Gosh. not a religion. We're not, you know, walking door to door and can we tell you the good news of the gospel of the paranormal? Yeah. It's like right. I tell people I, – I, I actually had a dude – come up to me at a wedding from across the room and he's like so i heard you're one of those ghost hunter guys you know ghosts don't really exist i actually looked at him and said i didn't ask you right (laughs) i don't care right i don't care if you don't believe i don't care if you do believe if i'm in your house it's because one you wanted me there and two you're looking for answers i don't care what a person believes
3: it's funny i was at um uh I was at San Diego Comic Con a couple years back, and we were doing our celebratory dinner at the end of the show, and um, one of one of our employees uh, got when he like we were talking about ghosts or something like that, or somebody had brought up ghosts, and he made this this wisecrack, and then realized that uh, of what I do, mm-hmm. and then he was like, oh, oh, and but it took a little bit of explaining, like I don't do what you see on TV, and kind of went into the technical background of you know all the different stuff we look at you know the medical history and you know the type of you know uh, uh, medications that people are taking and you know the structural electrical plumbing and all of this data and you know compiling it into a case study that was more eye-opening than he was expecting yeah i didn't change his mind on whether or not exists or whether he he thought it was funny. He was genuinely fascinated with what goes into what it is we do.
1: Right. 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 Yep. And, you know, I think with that being said, uh, Casey, we have come to that point in the shadow initiative where it is shameless self-promotion time. And we are all about Shameless self-promotion here at the Shadow and Initiative Paranormal TV. So why don't you uh, you know, sell what you're selling? Tell us a little bit uh, where we can find what you're selling and um, you know where people can find you.
3: Yeah, so I'm selling K2 meters. On, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> uh, you can find us on uh, OregonParanormal.com. You can find us on Facebook at, I believe, Oregon Paranormal was taken. So you can find us at Oregon Paranormal Research, um, or just type in Oregon Paranormal, and you'll see our our slug and badge. We're on Instagram. Um, I think we're still on Twitter. Uh, anybody wants to follow the progress on the film, we're at thepermanencefilm.com. Or you can just look up the permanence of Paranormal Case Study on Facebook. You can follow us there or on Instagram. We do a lot of behind-the-scenes videos and photos, and sometimes we'll go live from the hotel during production.
1: Um, so, yeah, that's that's pretty much us all right fantastic all right well thank you so much for being on the show man it Thanks was for having I've, me. I've been you're welcome i've been wanting to talk to you for a long time so we didn't have anybody today so i'm like i know who i'm gonna ask it's awesome. going to awesome I'm, I'm glad
3: it worked out because i've been wanting to chat with you man and it's awesome. good to you,
2: <laughs> oh well thank you yes i'm here too i appreciate it guys <laughs> he's just an afterthought Eat, him. I'm just the eye candy for the show, is what it what it boils down to. I was I wasn't gonna say anything. <laughs> hey, what you got? What you got in
3: uh, your display case back there? That is, uh, it's all Masters of the Universe. Yes. Yeah. Eat that, I, Rick. I, that's, yeah. that, that's my thing. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, one day, one day, Casey, you and I will just have to do this without Rick. And, and we'll talk, because we're sitting in a whole room, man, of Star Wars, Masters of the Universe, Ghostbusters, Batman. But you know where I work, right?
3: Such a nerd. Now where do you work? Dark Horse Comics.
1: No way. Company. Yeah. He's got yeah. the coolest job in the world, yes.
3: Yeah. I, I, fellow nerd, dude. Rick, you're
2: yeah. fired. You're fired. <laughs> yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, I'd
1: like to announce
2: my new co-host. Uh, you know him as Casey. Good one. He's been sitting here tonight. It was this was a test and he passed.
1: So, <laughs> sorry, Rick. Uh, well, all right, I'm out of here. So, but uh, you know what? Thank you so much, Casey. It was a real pleasure having you. Thank on. you, yes, guys, Thank was you. Fun. All right. Talk to you later. Take care.
2: Get with the goat and sell your soul at the Cut Your Heart Out Design and Fashion Store. Visit CutYourHeartOut.Threadless.com to discover everything horror dark and occult related when it comes to walking with the shadows in style browse her art and find some sinister offerings to fill your home spirit and wardrobe greeting cards blankets clothing masks and everything your wicked heart desires cut your heart out, and be sure to like them on facebook at facebook.com slash cutyourheartout.fashion. If you are dead on the inside, wear it proudly on the outside.
1: Yeah, Casey... AC is a cool guy, man, and I've been wanting to talk to him for a long, long time. Um, I've had the pleasure of talking to his colleague, Ben Robeson. I was a guest on his show. And, uh, you know, they're just they're, – they're a bunch of great guys who – they're doing some really great work up there in Oregon. Yeah.
2: Um, we would Once they finally get to uh, when they're going to release that film – we need to bring him back on.
1: Yeah, uh, definitely. I definitely. You know, I'd, I'd like to have him and Ben and uh, well, I mean, all of them. You know, everybody with, uh, you know, in their the uh, league of extrasensory gentlemen, which I, I I just love that name.
2: We'll have to see how we can play with that, like doing a roundtable, because it would be a great great opportunity for them to talk about the film, um, if they mm-hmm. have a trailer ready. Uh, if they don't have a trailer. I know a guy who could probably make him a badass trailer if I had all the footage. Um, but you know, show the trailer. Just use it as an episode to promote that film because I'm sure it's we're gonna dig it. You know.
1: Right. No, I, I have no doubt that it's that it's gonna be really well done. They've been working on it for a long time, and it's because they all want to get this thing right, which I am all about. You know, getting this stuff right to to properly show how it is that we work. You know, we're not you know jumping at shadows and screaming in the darkness, and you know there's demons waiting around every corner to turn us into our own personal hand puppets. So, yeah, definitely Casey Goodwin and Oregon Paranormal, they're all doing really great work.
2: Yeah, guys, definitely check them out. You saw throughout the show, uh, website links, images, all kinds of cool stuff. So, so be sure to check them out. If if you if you guys like us and you're hanging out with us. You could tell just by listening to Casey, uh, the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree. Yeah, he's a
1: pretty cool cat. Yeah, and then, you know, Rick was all giddy, you know. Oh, I got Casey Goodwin on the show. Yeah, you know, I I, I tend to be uh, I, I tend to uh, be fans of people, but you know, normal everyday people who you know I think are doing really good work, and and not just in the paranormal, but also people who are authors and musicians. I will admit I have a tendency to geek out. Oh, I do too. I do too, man. You know, if we would have like Dan Aykroyd on here, I don't even know if I could speak. I, yeah, it's it's so weird because um, um last year before COVID struck, we were in uh, Woodstock, Illinois, which, you know, as everybody knows, where they filmed um, Groundhog Day, mm-hmm. which is one of my absolute favorite movies. And while we were there, they were filming a commercial for Jeep, and guess who should be in the commercial? Bill Murray himself. I mean, that was like, I you know, I could only see him from a distance. He was there doing that bit on the street that he did with, you know, uh, Jeffrey Tobolowsky. And uh, I yelled out, I love you, Bill! <laughs> And my wife is like, oh, God, you're such a nerd. And then we were talking a little bit more, and I'm like, she's like, okay, you nerd out with Bill Murray, but who would be your biggest nerd out? And I said, absolutely, Dan Aykroyd. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. I, I would love to talk to him, not only because he is a brilliant writer and a brilliant actor and an amazing comic, but the man's a lifelong student of, of the paranormal and ufology. So, yeah, talking to him would be just amazing i agree man you know and and i have
2: a, a formal invite sent through his publicist um since last december i mean you never know you never know who knows you never know I, i've sent to, to quite a few people um ernie hudson uh dan akroyd all ghost related i'd have to go back through my list um you know, to try to get you know for our fans, you know, yeah, for us too, because that would be fantastic to talk to these people. Um, but sure. also to offer up, hey, you know, look, look, check this out. You know, you're not gonna see the the Zach baggins and Jason Hawes and stuff on here. That's just not gonna happen.
1: <laughs> Are you kidding me? I'm sure that they know
2: us by name and hate us. <laughs> but I am all for celebrities as long as it's relevant. You know, Dan's obviously relevant. He's a paranormal sure. investigator. He's a researcher. You know there are celebrities out there who have had paranormal encounters.
1: I'd love to bring them on and talk about it. You know, I know uh, Sammy Hagar being yeah one of them. I know yep. that he's had several ghost sightings as well as UFO sightings. And I I tried when I was uh when I was co-host of um Paranormal Underground Radio. I tried getting Sammy Hagar on yeah. the air, and uh, the guy that I talked to. Uh, it was through Facebook. He decided rather to insult me than put me in contact with Sammy Hagar. Really? So I'm like, yeah, you know what? If this is the kind of people that that Sammy hires, forget about it. Because I'm not going to sit sit here. I don't care who you are. You're not going to
0: insult me.
2: Well, one guy that we will have uh, on the show, it's just literally going to be a matter of it's got to work with his schedule. Um Yeah. But him and I used to be a lot closer. We've kind of uh, just over the years lost touch. I guess ever since I moved out of the Carolinas or, or South Carolina, um, we've lost touch. But Dean Haglund, um, mm. you know, he was one of the Lone Gunmen on the X Files, and sure. you know, he was the long-haired guy with the glasses, and, and uh, the he, band
1: T-shirts. And he, yeah,
2: he he put out he put out a documentary. I want to say about ten years ago that was titled the truth is out there Mm -hmm. and uh of course you know about ufos and aliens and all that stuff and the premiere for it was in charleston south carolina and he invited me to it and i i had him i've interviewed him before on my older radio shows and and i brought shadow initiative up i'm like look man we gotta we gotta get you on here one day and he's all for it it's just a matter of it's just gonna have to sink to when we all can do it you know
1: yeah, I, did did you uh, did you watch the the television show the uh, the the Lone Gunman? Yeah, it was it was the off I, yeah. I thought I thought this I thought their show was better than the last few seasons of the X Files. Yeah, I I, I I loved it. I it was really funny and well done.
2: I will watch, and as a matter of fact, my wife and I did just a few months ago. I will watch like the four to five the first four to five seasons of the x-files over and over and over till the day i die but it's like they just seem to after that it got too much into the 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 conspiracies and the smoking man and and Mm -hmm. it just it it took over whereas those first like four or five seasons each episode was a different case it was a different so, paranormal case, and that was cool. Monster of the week. Yeah, the, the, it, there was no tying in stories, and, you know, it, w- it was awesome, you know. Yeah. I love those older episodes, like the Christmas Eve episode, mm-hmm. where, where Mulder's sitting outside, he's going to investigate this house where the couple committed suicide on Christmas yes. Eve. And it's the house where the, the, you walk through one room, and you end up in a completely different... You're, like, back in the same room, you know? Mm-hmm.
1: I love those episodes, man. Or the the the, uh, the, the vampire episode.
2: The vampire I remember
1: episode? The, the vampire episode is one of my favorite episodes. I thought that that was, like, one of the times where the show got truly dark and truly gothic.
2: Yeah. I loved it. And I hate to admit it, but one of my go-tos is the the episode when they were on Cops.
1: Do you remember? yeah That was yes, great. With the... Uh, with the shape-shifting monster. Yeah, one yeah, time it's was, looking like Freddy Krueger,
2: another time it's a big, what was it, a Horton, wasp, or something? Yeah. You know, and Martyr's eating it up. You know, he's loving the fact the camera's on him, and he's talking to the camera like in Cops. You know.
1: Mm-hmm. That, that was cool. Yeah, it was a cool episode. It was, you know, the, the 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 monster of the week was definitely the way to go. But yeah, I mean, anybody who knows me will, I don't do conspiracy theories. I don't believe that there is a vast government um, uh, cover-up of aliens. If anything, I think that they're just as much in the dark as we are, yeah. which you know should be natural. But, um, yeah, I, I don't do conspiracy theories, and I think a lot of that is just howling at the moon. No! Got it from that episode. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yes. So we don't know what's going to happen next week, guys. I'm sure we'll have the same old shenanigans. Our Creature of the Week ghost watch haunted salvage we'll do something who knows maybe i'll have some stories from when i went to film
1: who knows i would love to hear those stories so we'll see
2: but you guys if you're on youtube you can like us and subscribe us here if you're on facebook it's facebook.com slash shadow initiative tv so be sure to like us somewhere you find us somewhere we're always posting stuff and join our group on facebook you can do that right through shadow initiatives facebook page too because rick is always posting cool stuff cool articles we've got ShadowInitiativeTV.com. we're a little behind on our blog right now because we're so busy but there's videos you can watch all the older episodes so if you're just checking us out for the first time you've got a lot of catching up to do
1: put us you can put us on your smart tv Mm, yeah we can come into your living room every friday night yes you know because steven considers himself the eye candy of this show Hey, you know, I it's
2: I, I got to I'm the one that's got to live with it, you know? Oh, it, it's, it's not as easy it, as people it think. It must
1: be rough to be that pretty. It just, <laughs> <laughs> it's not easy. It's not easy. Oh, this is getting ridiculous. All right, well again, thank you so much to Casey Goodwin of uh, Oregon Paranormal and The Permanence. Uh, can't wait to see that film and uh, we'll see you guys next week. Yep. Have a great week, guys.